Hey there, Pastor Mark Jordan here from Hope Church. Thank you for stopping by and welcome to our online ministry. While you're here, make sure to subscribe to our podcast so you can stay up to date on all the content that's released. And while you're online, visit us at our webpage at placeofhope.org. Hope Church is on a mission to introduce people to Jesus and fuel their love for Him. And we hope that this message today is helpful and inspiring for you as you continue to take your next step on your faith journey. Once again, thanks for visiting us and make sure to check us out at placeofhope.org. Well, happy Mother's Day again, everybody. I know that uh, Mother's Day is a very, very special day. It's a day that I'm thrilled to be able to celebrate with my mom and with my bride and uh, with all of those uh, who are blessed with wonderful examples of mothers in their lives. I recognize that that doesn't always involve and include everybody. It's something I'm very sensitive to because uh, maybe this is your first Mother's Day without your mom, or maybe you're in an estranged relationship with your mom, or maybe uh, it's your first or a multitude of Mother's Days without uh, a child, your child in your life. And so uh, this day brings together all kinds of thoughts and emotions and feelings, and it all swirls around, and sometimes we just have a tendency to get wrapped up and, uh, and messed up with it. But we come together and we celebrate the gift of motherhood because it's very near and dear to the heart of God. As I wrote in my devotion this morning, one of the very first decisions that, that God made as he was sending Jesus to earth was for the woman who would bear the Savior of the world. And so we celebrate that, even though sometimes we are reminded that there is pain associated with it. And when we think about just how those different emotions and things come together and pull together— I'm reminded of a text in the scripture that talks about how as the body of Christ, we are called to celebrate with one another when we're celebrating and grieve with one another while we're grieving. And that is to happen simultaneously. And that seems almost counterintuitive and almost impossible. Now, last week we talked about how nothing is impossible with God, praise the Lord. And so the only way that it's possible for us to come and celebrate with those who are uh, celebrating maybe your first Mother's Day or uh, anticipating the birth of a child uh, or bringing another child into the home, we celebrate those things. We also find ourselves in times of grief. We do that because we are bound and woven together by the power of the Holy Spirit that enables us to celebrate with those who are celebrating and grieve with those who are grieving and everything in between. And so as we come together, maybe remember what we talked about last week, that nothing is impossible for God when God gives us his Holy Spirit to bless us and to keep us together and to hold us together. Uh, and as we continue to move forward in our series about nothing, talking about our text and our topic for today, which is do nothing. Now, hopefully, some of the moms in here will have an opportunity to do nothing today, to finally uh, be able to just kick back and be waited on hand and foot. I hope that that is an opportunity that uh, some of you get to share today. If not, uh, I pray that you find blessings uh, in many different ways. One of the things that uh, we here at Hope Church have a gift for our moms today at the Connect Desk. You can grab one on your way out this, um, later this morning. Uh, so uh, maybe this afternoon. Anyway, so we grab one as you leave today uh, and remember how, uh, how much we appreciate who you are. Uh, if you happen to have your Hope Church app 
handy, this might be a good time to pull it out as we dig into our content for our message, which is entitled again, Do Nothing, which is uh, the second installment in our series about nothing. Now, before any of us uh, get carried away with the idea about doing nothing, there is actually certainly more to it, as you'll see by the ellipsis on the screen. I want us to dig into this week's content by reviewing last week's really quickly. Last week, we looked at faith and how faith activates God's power in life. And the second part of that was how we are to approach the problems that we have in life by trusting God first. One of the key takeaways from that that we referenced was how Jesus said, if you have the faith even the size of a mustard seed, you can talk to a mountain and go tell it to go jump in a lake. I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but you can go tell a mountain to go jump in a lake. It's going to do it. Now, we can joke about how many times we've tried to go uh, tell mountains to jump in a lake. Jesus was actually speaking metaphorically and hyperbolically as he said that. That is a very typical technique in Jesus' teaching if you read uh, into the Gospels. Jesus wasn't literally telling us to go tell mountains to jump in a lake. What he was saying, and it would be common for those who heard that message in that mindset was that mountains were referred to as problems. So when Jesus talks about, uh, you can go tell this mountain to move and it'll move, he's talking about the problems that we face in our life, which is the second point in that primarily is that when we take our problems to God and we trust God with the problems that we have, the problems that we feel, the problems we experience, when we trust God with our problems, then we will begin to see God work in them in ways that we can't understand. Mountains in the scripture are oftentimes thought about in terms of barriers or burdens. And so Jesus is saying, if you take your faith in God with trust to the barriers and the burdens that you find and you experience in this world, then you will be amazed at how they move through your trust in God. It takes trust to be able to do that, doesn't it? It takes that faith and that hope to be able to say, I know that this problem seems insurmountable. It seems uncomparable. It seems impossible. But what did we talk about last week? Nothing is impossible for God. Nothing is impossible for God. And I hope that as we move into our topic for today, that we had opportunities this week to reflect over our relationship with our creator and our redeemer and our sustainer. Because today we're going to be taking that foundation and moving it into the way that we are called to relate to other people. Interpersonal relationships. Doing nothing. So let's figure out what that means. Today is do nothing and it's how we're going to explore interpersonal relationships. Our primary Bible passage this morning comes from the book of Philippians, the second chapter, verses 3 through 5. And you'll see the very first two words here is the Apostle Paul saying, do nothing. So let's get the context for this as we continue in our series. Philippians 2, 3 through 5 says, do nothing out of what? Selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So Paul's instruction is to do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Now, when we think about those two ideas, those two topics of selfish ambition or vain conceit, the focus is on what? Self, right? With selfish ambition, we might be more willing to 
to walk over other people, to, to uh, backstab them, to gossip them, and to try to ruin or damage their reputation. Everything is about how we can elevate self at the expense of others. Vain conceit tells us that we are worth whatever it takes in order to get to that area that we feel like we deserve. So when we look at this idea where Paul's telling us do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, what we see here is he's telling us to be very careful that we make sure we keep our place in its proper place. To think about others first. And then he goes on to say, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. The same mindset of Christ Jesus is uh, something that's very, very valuable because Jesus put other people first. He sacrificed. He served. And as Paul would continue in Philippians chapter 2, which I encourage you to read it uh, later, but I encourage you to read it. He talks about how Jesus did not consider his role or status as God something to lord over other people or to take advantage and to hold up of other people. Instead, what Jesus did is he took on the role of servant and he submitted his life even to the hideous and excruciating death of crucifixion on a cross. So that mindset of Jesus isn't about what you can get other people to do for you, but what you can do for other people. That mindset of Jesus says, look for ways to serve others, look for ways to sacrifice for others. And uh, maybe in this type of a mindset, you see the incredible transformation that uh, motherhood or parenthood does in a person's heart or life. I mean, I think about uh, how my life has been transformed as a daddy and how Tiffany's life has been transformed as a mommy. And how uh, we can see what it means to put other people first when there's seemingly nothing that we're going to get out of it in return. It's about having that mindset of Jesus not looking to lord things over other people out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but to submit, to surrender, to serve, to sacrifice. One of the things I think that we can agree upon in terms of the way that Jesus approached the world is he approached the world with empathy and compassion. These are two words I want us to explore really quickly because it's easy for us to confuse what empathy and compassion really means. We can empathize with somebody, we can feel compassion for someone, but there is a very distinct difference as you'll see on the screen. Empathy is the ability of someone to feel the emotions of another person, while compassion is being moved to action for another person. You see the difference in that? Empathy is how we can feel what another feels. Compassion is how we act based on the feelings that we receive from other people. It is common for us to act without feeling or feeling without acting. And what Jesus wants us to do with his mindset is to bring and to merge these two together so that we can empathize with where people are and we can act compassionately in return. The scripture gives cautions and warnings about people who encounter those who are going through difficult times. And they basically offer with no more, than, with no more empathy than a cliche to say, I'll be praying for you. I'm sorry you're going through hell right now, right? I'll pray for you. And they go on about nothing ever happened. That's not how Jesus was. What, the way that Jesus approached things is he, he met people where they were. He found where they were yearning and where they were burning and where their heart was broken. And he sought ways to meet them where they were. Now, a reading of the Gospels might show you something that's quite fascinating. Because when Jesus would be asked a question by someone, he very rarely answered the question that was asked. Have you ever noticed that? 
people come up and ask Jesus a question, he very rarely answers the question that is asked. What he does is he answers the underlying thought or feeling or concern or burden or problem. Jesus was all about trying to help people find out what they feel and then act accordingly. Again, many of us feel without acting or act without feeling, and Jesus wants us to bring that merge together so that as we are living interpersonal relationship lives with others, which we're called to do, that we can feel where people feel and act according to a way that helps to meet their needs, not just about selfish ambition or vain conceit. So it's acknowledge how people feel and then act accordingly. And so what we're going to do next is we're going to think, I'm going to look through three basic different things that we tend to feel in ways that we tend to acknowledge and act. And hopefully we can bring uh, more of a merger into the same mindset of Jesus than the type of life that we tend to live under our own power and accord. The first one is we get confronted when we find problems and barriers and burdens in life with the need to respond either with fear or with faith. Now, here's something that's fascinating. Did you know that fear and faith are processed in the same part of the brain? Which means you get to choose. You get to choose how it is that you are going to respond when you are confronted with a frightful stimulus. You get to choose whether you're going to act in faith or whether you're going to act in fear. So let's look at the scripture and get some wisdom about how God might have us to to respond, Isaiah chapter 12, verse 2 says, God is indeed my salvation. I will trust and won't be what? Afraid. Yah, the Lord, is my strength and my shield. He has become my salvation. Ooh, I love that. Now, last week we were talking about how nothing is impossible for God. Do you remember what the core meaning of that topic was? You remember what it was? That nothing is impossible for God? What was the core? Someone say salvation. Salvation, that's exactly right. Salvation was the core of that. And so what that means is all too often we look at our lives and we see the problems that we've made, the messes that we've made, the mistakes that we've made, and we say, I'm too far gone. I'm beyond saving. Well, the core idea about nothing being impossible for God means that no one, no one is too far gone to be saved by the hand of Christ. Now, this can bring us great confidence and great comfort when we think about our lives and having faith and trust that God can save you in spite of everything that you have done. Everything. There is nothing that removes you outside of God's ability and willingness to save you because of an incredible love for you. I hope that brings great faith. Now, there may be some fear in that because you look around and you see somebody that there's nothing that they've done that can't be saved. Like, I might as well just assume uh, that person not be in heaven with me. But if they have the faith in God to be saved, then they can be saved. I can remember re reading one of uh, Max Cicado's book and he was talking about how he wasn't really excited about sharing eternity with Jeffrey Dahmer. I believe it was Jeffrey Dahmer, but Jeffrey Dahmer apparently accepted Christ before he died. And therefore, if nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus and no one is too far gone to be saved, then there are going to be people in paradise that we're not going to expect to see there. But on the other hand, there may be people surprised to see you there. I don't know. I, yeah. Thank you for laughing at that. That was intentional. I appreciate it. 
right? But that's, that's the promise. That's the beauty. That's the hope of this, that none of us, none of us are too far gone to be saved by God. That faith, my friends, should give us the strength and the courage to face whatever problem or mountain or burden or barrier that we have, trusting God that he's going to see us through it. And then even a mustard-sized piece of faith, tiny, tiny seed, can help us deal with our problems when we bring them to God first. That doesn't always mean that it's going to be easy. And if there's anything I've learned about interpersonal relationships, personally, professionally, and just doing observation in life, is that sometimes we have problems in our relationships. I know it's a shocker. I know it's a shocker. Sometimes we end up having problems in our relationships. Sometimes they have problems in our relationships with their parents or their kids or with their siblings or with our neighbors, right? You know, whatever. We always, it seems, to find times to run into problems. And if we're going to live with the same mindset of Jesus, that we're going to have to make a decision, like with fear or faith, to respond or to react or to live with people based on grievance or grace. Grievance or grace. Maybe we could say grudge or grace. Have you ever been in a problem with someone and you're struggling with how to deal with it? I mean, every one of us has been there. And one of the things that seems to me in our flesh, which is the biblical way of talking about just the way our human condition is, is that when we are encountering an interpersonal relationship with someone with whom we find some difficulty, we tend to go first to grievance, don't we? I mean, it's just part of that natural human reaction. Some of it is a defense mechanism, right? Some of it is to help guard our hearts and our minds and our souls against potential damage. But that's not the mindset of Jesus. Jesus doesn't want us to approach all of our relationships with grievance. He wants us to approach our relationships with grace. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 29 through 32. And this is what we read from the scripture. The apostle Paul wrote, Watch the way you talk. Let nothing foul or dirty come out of your mouth. Say only what helps each word a gift. Don't grieve God. Don't break his heart. His Holy Spirit moving and breathing in you is the most intimate part of your life, making you fit for himself. Don't take such a gift for granted. Make a clean break with all cutting, backbiting, profane talk. Be gentle with one another, sensitive. Forgive one another as quickly and thoroughly as God in Christ forgave you grievance or grace the grievances that we hold and approach in our relationships can grieve god but god wants us to have the grace that we need to approach other people even when we've been on the receiving or the giving end of some of that profane foul talk he wants us to approach it with grace with grace. I'm suspecting with our lighting issue, it's probably not a good idea to try to show that clip. Are we good? Okay, so good. All right. Paid no attention to the side conversation just had with Brent. <laughs> we have a clip this morning. It's a brief clip, clip from uh, Seinfeld this morning. Uh, this is an interaction that Elaine had um, talking about grace, and we're going to unpack it in a moment. So let's watch our uh, clip about, uh, about grace uh, using this... Uh, little interaction from Seinfeld. Of course. 
course, Jackie O was a great lady. Oh. Those are going to be some tough shoes to fill. Mm. Mm. Everyone loved her. She had such grace. Yes. Yeah. Grace. Not many people have grace. Well, you know, grace is a tough one. I like to think I have a little grace, not as much as Jack. You can't have a little grace. You either have grace or you don't. Okay, fine. I have no grace. And you can't acquire grace. Well, I, I have no intention of getting grace. Grace isn't something you can pick up at the market. All right, all right. look, I don't have grace. I don't want grace. I don't even say grace, okay? Thank you for coming in. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. We'll make our choice in a few days, and we'll let you know. I have no chance, do I? No. No. That's cute, but the, what I want to draw upon this morning is the idea about being graceful or grace-filled. Elaine confessed she didn't have grace, want grace, didn't think she needed grace, right? And she tried to be graceful. What happened when she tried to be graceful? It was obvious she didn't have much grace in her life. But it was interesting, the comment that was made about how you can't just go get grace, you can't just acquire grace, you only just get a little bit of grace. So what is grace? I'm not talking about the ability to, to walk or to dance or to sashay through a room and say, oh, wow, that's a graceful person. Because that can be performative. There's a difference in being graceful and grace-filled. Grace, my friends, is that unconditional, undeserved love of God for you. Not based on anything that you have, anything that you've done, anything you can achieve, Anything you can acquire, but grace is given to you based solely on the character and the nature of God. And so when you receive Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, He doesn't just give you a little bit of grace. He doesn't just give you a little taste of it. He fills you with His holy love. He fills you with His saving love. He floods your life with grace. And we are called to be grace-filled individuals. We can try to be graceful. In other words, we can try to look the part, at the top part, talk the part. But that's not at all what it's about. It's not about trying to perform gracefully. It's about allowing ourselves to be surrendered, to be submitted, to be filled with that unconditional, undeserved love of God. Not based on anything that you've done, but solely on who God is. Because God's very nature, God's very character is love. And God loves you. And when you open your heart and say, I have no deserving of this grace. But Lord, I ask for your saving grace. I ask for you to help me, to heal me, to fill me. He fills you with his grace. That unconditional love that can only be given by God. Not because you've earned it or deserve it, because of who God is. And what Jesus did for you. And so we are called to be grace-filled vessels of God's love. Not living lives of grievance, but living lives of what? Grace. But that doesn't mean that we are never going to have problems 
with people ever again, does it? No. That grace, as it works and it moves in our lives, helps us to feel, let's say, the conviction that we've messed up, that we've made a mess, we've made a mistake, that we've missed the mark, and we need to make it right. The fancy biblical term for this is repentance, which means to make a 180-degree turn away from what it was that we did wrong, the messes that we made, the mistakes that we committed, and to live into that grace, that unconditional love that we also know as mercy, is we are called to live lives of grace. But unless we have it, then our lives are going to be likely filled more with regret than repentance. So let's look at this. Do you live a life based on the grace that you've experienced full of regret or repentance. And there is a difference. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. We come back to that nature and the notion of sin. Sin is that Greek word, which means to miss the mark. It's an archery term. To mean, it means to miss the mark. And to think about all the times we've missed the mark in our interpersonal relationships, in our relationship with God, even our relationship with ourselves, when we succumb to those temptations that we don't think anybody's ever going to know about, learn about, see about, hear about. We succumb to those things. And we need to repent because of the sin. You see, regret is a tool of the devil, of the enemy, to tell you that you don't deserve the grace that God has given you. The good news is you don't. Nobody does. But God gives it to you anyway. Isn't that a beautiful thing? We don't deserve it. But God gives it to us based on who we are. But we cannot take that for granted. That's what grieves God. And the way that we live that out in selfish ambition or vain conceit. Trying to walk all over the people. Backbiting, backstabbing, whatever. It's coming to that point where we realize we've missed the mark. And we confess that and repent and say, dear Lord, forgive me. Help me to restore the right relationships with you, with others, and even with my own soul. Help me to do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Thinking that I deserve something I could never earn. Thinking that other people owe me something. They don't, but rather to have the same mindset as Jesus Christ, who submitted, surrendered, served, sacrificed. He approached people with empathy, and he acted with compassion. That's the mindset that we need to have in our lives. Otherwise, anything that we do as we see from another passage in 1 Corinthians 13, it's motion without movement, speech without meaning. It all comes down to loving God, others, and even self. So bringing our message, <clears throat> excuse me, to a close this morning as the band makes their way back up. <clears throat> I have our nothing checklist for the week, which you'll see on the screen. It's who do you first look to serve? 
Do you look to serve your own selfish ambitions or your vain conceit, your ego first, or are you looking to serve God or others? Have you or are you currently confusing empathy and compassion? Are you feeling without acting or acting without feeling? Or has fear or grievance or regret played a role in your relationships? If it has, then I commend to you the flip side words that we've talked about today. Have faith and trust in God. Accept and live into the grace of God's amazing love that he's given to you. And in those areas where he points out we've messed up, missed the mark, made a big mistake, and we want to feel regret, turn that regret into repentance. Say, dear Lord, I want to turn away from that. And in turning away from it, I turn to you. And I pray that you weave me together with the people you've given me to do life with to be a blessing for this world. That I may do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Pray with me, please. Living and loving God, I thank you for today. I thank you that you are with us and you ask us to trust you to receive your grace and to repent and to turn away from all the areas where we got it wrong, get it wrong, or we'll get it wrong into that restored relationship with you. Lord, for those here this morning that are carrying or bearing the burdens of broken relationships, I pray that you may inspire within us ways that we can seek to live in faith and grace and repentance. And if we are in a position where we need to extend or receive, I pray that we do. That we do something for you in surrender and submission and service and sacrifice. And forgive us for those times we don't act accordingly. For those times when we do live our lives out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. We feel without acting or we act without feeling. Lord, help us to get in that mindset with you. That with and for and through you, we can help be difference makers in this world. I pray this in the name of Jesus who lives and lives forever. Amen and amen. Thank you again for joining us today. We are glad that you stopped by. Again, we want to encourage you to visit us online at placeofhope.org. If you're in the Paulding County area there, you can get service times, directions, and information about all of our awesome activities for children, for students, and for adults. Again, Hope Church is on a mission to introduce people to Jesus and fuel their love for Him, and we hope to provide you the heart fuel you need to follow Jesus. Thanks again.